Transmitting live from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area, this is Trump Watch, a weekly series examining how President Donald J. Trump and his administration are changing the world we live in. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. I to commit length about his decision in the Garza case, which is the only case dealing with abortion in which he has rendered a decision. Uh, we talked about whether he considered Roe to be settled law. He said that he agreed with what Justice Roberts said at his nomination hearing, in which he said that it was settled law. Uh, we had a very good, thorough discussion about that issue and many others. That was Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine speaking to reporters outside of her office directly after meeting with Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who had yet to be confirmed to the high court. Footage courtesy of NBC News. Collins' vote, of course, helped to push Kavanaugh's nomination over the top despite a contentious Senate confirmation process in which Christine Margaret Blasey Ford, professor of psychology at Palo Alto University and a childhood acquaintance of Kavanaugh, accused him of sexually assaulting her back in 1982 when she was 15 and he was 17. Kavanaugh has vigorously denied the allegations. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. Despite Justice Kavanaugh's alleged promise to Senator Collins that he considers Roe v. Wade to be, quote, settled law, and the statements he made in his confirmation hearing to the same effect, President Trump's two additions to the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, who replaced Justice Anthony Kennedy, a so-called swing justice for his independent and unpredictable opinions, and Neil Gorsuch, who replaced Antonin Scalia, a reliably conservative justice who believed in a more limited view of constitutionality, have appeared to put the safety of the so-called settled law that keeps abortion safe and legal in all 50 states in jeopardy. At least the lawmakers of the 10 states who passed restrictive abortion laws in 2019 with the stated hopes of the laws being tested by the Supreme Court appear to believe. So what does this all mean for the state of women's reproductive rights in America today? Here to help us answer that question is Stacy Fox. We spoke earlier today. Joining me now is Stacy Fox, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Southeast, an organization that has strongly condemned the wave of new state laws restricting abortion. Hello, Stacy. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Jesse, thanks so much for having me, and thanks for lifting up the story. According to the news website The Hill, 10 states have passed laws restricting abortion in 2019, with Tennessee Governor Bill Lee signing a so-called trigger law that would make abortion illegal if Roe v. Wade is altered or overturned. Can you explain what's driving all of these new abortion laws at the state level? Well, Jesse, I think we have a a couple of things at play here. I mean, let's be clear, this is a nationwide strategy to race to the Supreme Court in an effort to overturn Roe v. Wade. At Planned Parenthood Southeast, we work across Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, so we've seen this firsthand this spring. And I think that really two reasons uh, this is happening. One is 
we've had some changes at the Supreme Court level, right? We have two very conservative justices that have joined the court. And with Justice Kavanaugh's appointment, you know, this uh, issue around access to safe and legal abortion in this country was front and center. Um, And so I think that the conservatives, the politicians in these states feel like they have cover um, for that reason. And the other reason is we have a president who's, you know, spewing pretty hateful rhetoric about women and women's bodies and health care that's also giving cover cover to these politicians and these efforts um, and the bills that are passing in these states. Before we get into the specific Supreme Court actions that have happened recently, uh, talk a little bit more about the role that you think President Trump has played in driving um, this rush for new legislation in the hopes of getting the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, I think this is nothing more than a very large political game that these politicians are playing literally with people's lives in an effort to best themselves for their next race, you know, the next visit to the voting booth of the voters or the constituents in their districts or in their states. You know, I mean, Jesse, in my opinion, this isn't, this has never been about abortion. You know, abortion is just this latest cry in this fight for equity and justice and autonomy in this country. We used to fight about women having access to birth control. We fought about women's rights to vote. We fought about people of color's rights to vote. We fought about people's rights to own property. Um, And now abortion is the only, you know, a meat, so to speak, that the conservatives can throw to their base to say, look, I did something in my, you know, in order to wave my conservative flag to get your vote the next time you visit the voting booth. President Trump, of course, has expressed pro-choice views in the past before his uh, late-in-life turn to politics. But Mike Pence uh, has been someone who, as a self-described Christian conservative, has always been uh, very much opposed to any kind of legal abortion Do you have any sense if he is driving this at the White House, if the president or if the president simply sees an opportunity here? Well, I'm I'm not really sure who's in the driver's seat these days. It's hard to (laughs) it's hard to keep track of in this administration, to be honest. But I think no matter what there, it's the party, you know, trying to play to their base in order to. Uh, garner votes and 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 attention uh, in order to hold on to power. I mean, I think and have been describing this as sort of the dying gasp of white male supremacy in this country. You know, the last thing they can hold on to is women's bodily autonomy. And so that's their cry. And I think, you know, I do think that Vice President Pence holds these values at his core. Um, not so sure about President Trump. I mean, I think he blows away the wind, whatever day it happens to be. But regardless, it's what they need to get their party behind them. Um, and from my perspective, you know, uh, Vice President Pence certainly has a right to his opinion. What he does not have a right to is to assert his opinion over my body through political measures. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court struck down uh, the part of an Indiana law in the case of Box 
v. Planned Parenthood of Indiana and Kentucky that made it illegal in that state for, quote, a fetus to be aborted solely because of the fetus's race, color, national origin, ancestry, sex, or diagnosis, or potential diagnosis of the fetus having Down syndrome or any other disability, unquote. Though, as reported by Robert Barnes of the Washington Post, the court upheld new requirements on how fetal remains are disposed of after an abortion, What do you think this ruling tells us about the way that this new Supreme Court intends to proceed on abortion? You know, I don't I don't know that uh, the decisions that came out from the Supreme Court on these Indiana cases are really the the tea leaves that tell us the future of their decisions. I mean, listen, when it comes to the products of conception and the disposal of those, I mean, the the argument, there was not an undue burden argument made in, in that case, and Justice Ginsburg refers to that in her footnotes. I mean, she she can foresee the long-term impact of that being an undue burden, right? And and so I, I don't think that's the end of this argument from a legal standpoint. And, you know, I think the, uh, the court standing with the fact that, listen, we should trust doctors and women and respect them to make the decisions that are best for them and not assume that they're making these biased decisions that this piece of legislation assumed they were and upholding that decision. You know, again, I don't know that this predicts the future, Um, you know, not necessarily maybe how we would have wanted the court to rule, but I think it definitely rings the alarm bell. You know, the, the worries that we had during the Kavanaugh hearings are real, you know, and we are, started to see that play out through uh, these decisions. This might be getting a little bit in the weeds, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, responded in writing to Justice Thomas's majority opinion, correcting each time where he referred to the mother and changing that word with the woman. Why do you think that distinction is important? Well, I think that's right. I mean, I think what Justice Ginsburg is trying to highlight here is that um, you know, let's not use language as as rhetoric, you know, and scare tactics to change public opinion. And I think, you know, um, I mean, that that becomes a very loaded word, right, when you use things like um, mother in a decision, right? That's That's not without bias. So, I mean, speaking about the person without labeling them is what Justice Ginsburg was doing. And I think that's exactly what she was trying to do, is to remove the biased language that Justice Thomas was inserting in his decision. Let's talk about the part of the ruling that stood after the Supreme Court decision on Tuesday, new requirements on how fetal remains are disposed of after an abortion. What does that mean, and why do you believe that's problematic? Well, what this is, is this is just part of this larger effort to chip away at abortion access. And so we've seen these laws in other states. So Indiana was not the first state where we saw this law passed. Um, You know, there are other states where this law is in place and in effect now, just like it is in Indiana. But what it does is create one more barrier for the um, health center that's providing the care, you know, in order for the woman to be able to access the care. And I think this has been a strategy that we've seen across the country is what ang- whatever angle these conservative politicians can take, they do. Um, and this has been one of their angles. I'm speaking with Stacy Fox, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Southeast. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. 
Uh, Stacy, in his new opinion column, Why the Fight Over Abortion is Unrelenting, columnist uh, Thomas Edsel writes that the reason this continues to be such a decisive issue, divisive issue rather, is that, quote, the abortion issue taps into competing deep-rooted views on the role of men and women in society. Do you agree? And if this is such a fundamental philosophical difference between many Americans, how can a compromise be found? No, I, I think that's right, Jesse. I mean, I think we have not reconciled ourselves to the fact in this country that women are full, equal humans and deserve to be treated that way. We're still fighting over equal pay. We can't even uh, pass that. In Georgia, we saw that happen and play out this session when it started out as a bipartisan piece of legislation that broke apart in partisan arguments over the fact that women should not be paid the same as men. So, yes, I think we're still in the midst of that struggle, and abortion is the the latest fight in that struggle. And I think until we get there, uh, you know, until we reconcile ourselves legally to that fact, we're going to have these fights over and over again. You know, as far as the solution goes, Jesse, I think, you know, there are a number of solutions and some of them are political. Don't get me wrong. You know, what, you know, thinking about who gets elected and making sure, you know, those that get elected represent the people, meaning, you know, women running at record numbers and getting those women elected are so important. But I also think there's something about the social narrative in this country. Um, we have a lot of shame and stigma attached to sexual and reproductive health and women's bodies and how they work and about abortion specifically. And we know that one in four women at some point in their life will have an abortion. That's a lot of women. And that's a lot of people who know those women. And in order to change the narrative, we've got to humanize this. We've got to help people understand that health, that abortion is part of healthcare. And I think you're seeing that happen across the country. Waves of everybody from a, you know, a, a, an Alabamian who's been sharing her story. I think that just got published in Cosmo yesterday to a celebrity telling their abortion stories unapologetically. And shame on us for, for that having to be so. Uh, you know, Jesse, I don't think that women should have to fillet themselves on the court of public opinion in order to change the narrative. But unfortunately, I think that's where we're at. You know, whether it's sharing the rape story in order to convince people that we actually have to believe survivors, like what we saw happen in the Kavanaugh hearings or when we're dealing with abortion stigma, I think until we can put faces on it, I think the narrative isn't going to change. Is that one in four women who will get an abortion, is that in the United States or internationally? That's here in the U.S., Jesse. President Trump has, of course, appointed a lot of federal judges as well. Uh, Has there been a noticeable shift in opinions on abortion in the lower courts because of this? You know, Jesse, I think what we've seen is the court, the lower courts upholding the precedent, you know, and I think that's why we're seeing this race to the Supreme Court because they really determine the law of the land. Um, I think we've seen some some changes, obviously, in the courts, and I think those will have ripple effects for decades, And which is why when we say elections matter, we mean it. It's way beyond those who sit in the capitals uh, you know, across the country. It's also those who sit on the benches, and they often get to sit there for lifetimes, right, because we don't challenge them uh, electorally. And I think that when we think about electoral politics, that will likely be the, the new frontier, right? We're going to have to hold judges accountable uh, and, you know, meet them in the, in the voting booth, just like we do our representatives and our senators. We've been talking about the more restrictive laws on abortion in red states, 
But blue states like New York and Vermont are taking measures of their own to preserve a woman's right to an abortion. Are you expecting these kind of trigger laws uh, to be passed around the country on both sides? These are the laws that go into effect only if Roe v. Wade is overturned. I think so, Jesse. I mean, we're seeing the same happen and unfold this week in Illinois. And I think it's great for states to, you know, put their stake in the ground and say, listen, you know, we are going to be a haven state and it, it is not our job as lawmakers to get in between a, a patient and her doctor. And unfortunately, those states have to do that because of states like Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, where, you know, we have uh, the majority of politicians who think otherwise. So, you know, in, in my ideal, we're not even having these debates in these political halls. Jesse, these are healthcare matters that should not be left up to politicians. But I'm so grateful for the states that are standing behind access to safe and legal abortion because in, today, in today's uh, climate, we certainly need that. In the last few minutes we have here, I want to spend a little time on the specific effects of a couple of the state laws that have been passed in your region at Planned Parenthood Southeast or that are making their way through the state legislatures to the governor. Uh, There are two uh, different so-called heartbeat laws uh, in the states of Louisiana and South Carolina Uh, that appear to be on their way to uh, being passed. Can you talk about what these heartbeat laws are and what they mean for a woman seeking an abortion? Yeah, Jesse, I mean, let's call these bills for what they really are. They are abortion bans. Um, And we saw the same language used in Mississippi and Georgia uh, and in Alabama. I mean, you know, at, at six weeks pregnant, most women barely even notice they've missed a period. They don't know they're pregnant. Um, They haven't thought about what they might want to do in response to being pregnant. So these bills are all out abortion bans. And I think language is is powerful. And I think that's why we're seeing conservative politicians use the language that they are. And I think, you know, the, the harsh reality is these politicians aren't paying attention to the real health crisis. Uh, You know, in Alabama, black women are dying at six times the rate of any other state of cervical cancer in 2019, a disease that can be prevented uh, and cured if caught early enough. Um, But you didn't see the Alabama legislature do anything about that. You know, and I think the other thing that's real is that banning abortion does not stop abortion. It stops safe abortion. And so what these politicians are doing are literally playing politics with women's lives uh, rather than expanding access to health care and focusing on the real needs of their state. Earlier this month, Georgia passed one of these, they say, heartbeat laws, you say abortion bans. And at the time, you told the AP that you only had one message for Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, quote, we will see you, sir, in court. Can you talk about the status of that case and if you believe the Supreme Court will hear it? Well, Jesse, we always deliver on our promises. I made the same promise to Governor Ivey, and we delivered on that promise last Friday when we filed a lawsuit against the state of Alabama. And we will later this summer file a similar lawsuit with our partners here in Georgia, like at the ACLU, against the state and against Governor Kemp. I mean, whether the Georgia case ends up at the Supreme Court or not is, you know, hard to know. I mean, these the cases that were coming out of the Supreme Court or decisions yesterday about Indiana were bills that were passed in 2016. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand it takes a while for things to get to the Supreme Court. And there are 
you know, more than a dozen cases already in the pipeline ahead of Georgia or Alabama. So the likelihood of, say, the Georgia or the Alabama law being the one that gets there is unlikely, but really hard to predict. But we will we will definitely see Governor Kemp in court and we will see Governor Ivey in court. And, you know, we were in court last week in Mississippi as well. Our, our partners at the Center for Reproductive Rights uh, filed a lawsuit against that bill and already have won a preliminary injunction on that law that was set to affect July, set to take effect July 1. So, um, yeah, I mean, we fight these, these uh, uh, barriers to healthcare every step away. And if that means going to court, then so be it. And at the, at the same time, Jesse, it's our job to make sure that people in our states know that abortion is still safe and legal and available and that our doors are still open. Um, I, lose sleep every night thinking about the people who aren't calling our call center, who don't understand what the headlines mean and might be faced with a, a, a pregnancy and um, horrible things are going through their minds because they think abortion is already illegal. And it's always important to mention that abortion is just one health care service for women provided at Planned Parenthood. Could you talk about some of the other services your organization provides and how these more restrictive state laws could affect them? That's right. I mean, I started my career at Planned Parenthood 23 years ago as a health educator. I mean, we're doing things like medically accurate sex ed out in our communities and in our schools. And every day our doors are open seeing patients, um, you know, and providing compassionate, non-judgmental health care for things like cancer screenings, a pap smear, a breast exam, uh, treating uh, and, and testing and treating for sexually transmitted infections or, you know, uh, access to birth control in, in a really unfettered way. I, I love that at Planned Parenthood. You know, you can come in and get a consult at Planned Parenthood. You don't even have to have a, a well woman exam. Um, you can have a consult and leave with the method of birth control that you choose and start it that day. Um, I love that about, about our, our health centers at Planned Parenthood. Finally, in our last minute here, where is this fight over legal abortion in the United States going to be playing out? Is it in the 2020 presidential election, the state level? Where do you see the next real frontier for this, the courts? Well, Jesse, I think the courts, yes, but I think there's more time to come in the in the courts, right? I mean, I think uh, we may the Supreme Court may hear a case next year in their next session, um, but I think if anybody believes that access to safe and legal abortion will not be front and center on the ballot next fall in 2020, whether it's the presidential or all the way down the ballot in every one of our states, then they just aren't paying attention. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jesse, for having me. I've been speaking with Stacy Fox, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Southeast. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. And that's all for this week. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 115 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us again next week when we'll break down a different aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. Thank you.